Oh, here's your relaxing, beautiful music for the completely sane. That's right. There's nothing wrong with you. I'm okay, you you're okay. A... I'm okay. You're okay. <laughs> Everything's fine. Welcome. Yes. Yes, to... welcome. To... Um... Welcome to uh, Time for Go to Bed. There it is. That's right. You've had a long day and just give up. Listen to some bedtime stories and go to sleep. So, yeah. Yeah. Foxfire is going to find us some coyote stories. Coyote stories? Well, who knew? <laughs> okay. That's fine. Uh, yeah, so welcome to the program, everyone. Um, this is, uh, a sad closure for Wormwood Forest tonight. This is the last episode of Wormwood Forest. I figured out, is you're right, we did not start the show because we're on episode 17 tonight, but we were yeah, actually yeah. playing double episodes for at least two or three episodes of Wormwood yeah, Forest. Yeah, and then I was like, hey... Slow it down. Pull back on the Wormwood Forest or we, we won't have any left. Yeah. You're like, slow the counting down. Yeah. Never so mind. this is our Bad 17th reference. episode, huh? That's great. This is, yeah, this is episode 17. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're in our uh, uh, fourth trimester. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that means nothing to me. I'm childless. It means nothing to me. All oh, Vienna. Vienna. <laughs> um, this means nothing to me. Yeah, that's Ultravox, not Thank to be confused you. with Libervox, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love Ultravox. <laughs> or Bonovox, not to be confused with Bonovox. Not to be confused with Litterbox. Yeah. Let's go for the Litterbox jokes. Woohoo! Yuck, yuck, yuck. Um, yuck, yuck. All right, so we got to get it out of the way now. The the elephant in the room with our latest uh, eBay triumph. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ken triumphed in eBay. Oh, my uh, gosh. I couldn't believe it. Uh, we went to a local video store. There's, like, one video Shoo! rental store that still exists, and they, they, oh. they, they have a big back room that we don't go into for movies for grown-ups that we're not allowed to see. Um, <laughs> We're not old have... enough to go back there. No, no, um, no really. I, I have actually, I've seen this place for like 20 years, but I never wanted to go into it because they've got a sign that says adult movies. Um, four for $20 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, four for $20 or something yeah. like that. So I've always been like, oh, I'm sure it's solid porn. Carino, and I'm Carino like, no video. It used to be a York video, I believe. Yeah, and, I, and I've always been like, I don't want to go in there. I bet it's disgusting. It was very clean. It, it was, was very it was clean. Lovely. I don't think they. It let was people, lovely. I don't think they let people watch the grown-up movies in there. They have to take them home. Yeah, um, they have to take them home, which is cool. So I'm cool on that. I, I just said let's stop in there uh, on what Monday or Tuesday? Uh, no, Monday, right? Mm-hmm. We were out and about on Monday, and I said let's just go. I'll, I'll just at the off chance I will see if they have any used VHS in there for sale. Yeah. I go in, it looks like it's just wall-to-wall -wall DVDs and Blu-ray. 
And I looked at the the woman and I I uh, and I said, you know, asked politely. I said, this might be a silly question, but do you happen to have any used VHS tapes or any VHS tapes for sale? She's like, oh yeah, there's a whole bunch over here, and then there's a, some bins in the back, like these display bins, these waist high display box things. And you know, and she's like, there's a wire rack full of them over there. And so I start going through, and I'm finding a lot of crap. There, you know, just to be honest, it's a lot of like old just junk. You know, just, just movies nobody wants. I'm not finding any good horror stuff. You know, that's obviously been picked out, you know, over time. You know, not even anything. Not even like, a, you know, a, a, you know, I didn't even see any Hitchcock scary stuff there. So, <laughs> so I'm looking in these boxes in the back and lo and behold, I see a sealed copy of a tape. It mm-hmm. is the first edition Factory sealed copy of the '80s movie *Romancing the Stone* with Michael Douglas and um, Kathleen Turner. And you all remember that it's it's a gorgeous picture. They're on a they're swinging from the trees on a vine. You know, it's it's very iconic. They got that right? song the done by um, Electric Avenue guy Eddie Grant. Yeah. Um. So I'm like, okay, score. I've seen this yeah. self. I, I've seen itself for a lot. I remember seeing, you know, a, I hate, there there are a lot of first edition VHS 80s movies that sell for a lot if they're sealed. Because they're so scarce. And people set yeah. them up to get graded. Mm-hmm. And then they flip them for like thousands of dollars. I spent, sure. a dollar, I spent a dollar on this VHS tape. I listed it that night. And it sold for $800. $800. Of course, eBay is going to take a big chunk out of it. So essentially, I made like, I turned a dollar into like $675. Yep, sure did. Oh, gosh. I can't believe it. So, yeah. And and the thing is, believe it. The last time it sold, I think it sold for $500 sealed. And I said, screw it. Let me put it up for eight hundred and see what happens, because Why there not? aren't there aren't any other copies around. And I put and, it up. And to, to and be boom. fair, the the corners were very good. The plastic was very good. It's gonna grade well. Yeah. It's it's going to it's going I, to. I can't like, believe we, it was in that good of shape being, being jammed in that bin. Yeah. 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 It's just so, odd. We're just going to weird video stores and finding these these. Things yeah. that people are looking for, we know they're looking for them. Store owners don't know they're looking for them. Yeah, and this isn't even counting our other, you know, other crazy sales. Like I got a rewinder in the box for five bucks at the yeah. thrift store the other day. I just unloaded it for thirty. So yeah, that's nice. You know, so little things like yeah. that. But yeah, I sold a tape. Just to repeat, I turned a dollar <laughs> into six hundred and seventy-five dollars in under twelve hours. And that's after fees. You're, yeah, that's we, after we, that's after cutting everything the, out. That guy paid. An eBay extra takes f- their cut like ten percent. And the thing is, he could have done. This guy could have made a best offer and gotten it for seven hundred and forty nine ninety nine instead of seven hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah. And he didn't. He just paid the seven hundred ninety nine. And then another. And the 50, weird thing is, and then another the weird 50, thing is, another fifty dollars in taxes. Yeah, he, the weird thing is, he immediately sent us a message. Thank you so much for selling that to me. Do you have any more? Yeah. So let me tell everybody how I. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Let me tell everybody how I packaged it. I I put it (laughs) in. 
I wrapped it in paper, no tape, some nice clean packing paper, put it in paper, put it inside a bubble envelope, just gently tuck the seal on it, no tape anywhere near that, you know, that beautiful pristine plastic. And then I put that inside one of those small, sturdy priority mailboxes. And then I got a bigger box and I lined it with heavy duty bubble wrap that I recycled from mm-hmm. something else that I bought. Every all the packaging's like totally free and recycled except for the one bubble envelope. You know, because we don't I don't throw out bubble wrap. I don't throw out boxes because if I do, the first next thing, you know, I needed that, you know. So like I use sure. A box that we order our packing tape from. So I put it inside this, you know, this small box inside, you know, uh, you know, wrapped in paper, in bubble wrap, in a box, wrapped in more bubble wrap, heavy duty, the thick, thick, big bubbles, you know, and then sure. topped off with more paper on the top just to fill out the box. And so that thing is like, you know, was it riding on a cushion of air down to Florida. And we have so <laughs> many customers in Florida. It's ridiculous. I don't, yeah. and and yeah, um, living. I don't know how long a VHS tape lasts. I I couldn't tell you, but I don't even think people care um, if it plays. I think people are just buying them because it, they're scarce, and it, you know, there <coughs> there's several kinds of collectors out there. There are people who actually buy the movies and watch them, and they want like former rentals and tested stuff and scary stuff, um, or crazy wacky rare stuff. Uh, and then there, there's people who still own their VCRs and they'll buy something brand new just to watch because they're like, I'm not getting rid of my movies. And then there's people yeah. who couldn't give a flying crap whether or not the tape works or not. They only care if it's factory sealed, if it has studio stamps, yeah. if it has, you know, stickers on the outside from the, you know, you know, Duras, you know, free Duracell batteries with purchase or some, some stupid like that. Um, or, and, ju- you know, and just to tell you, there are, there are companies they grade comic books. They also grade coins. They also grade records. But they grade VHS. Yeah, they do action you figures know? and stuff like that too. Actually, yeah, action figures. Okay. So, but yeah, that, there are companies that you can send your stuff out, and for like sixty dollars, they'll, they'll grade it and tell you how much it's worth yeah, and how pristine it is. They'll, and they'll grade put it, a grading on it. They'll put it in a in a in a plexiglass sarcophagus so you can never enjoy it again. <laughs> you just get to and look I'm not at into it. that. I mean, maybe if I if I saw like my favorite movie and I found a good good version of it, yeah. Like if I found a really great copy of Valley Girl, I'd be like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna just mm-hmm. yeah. Or if I what was that other movie that I liked? Uh, nah, I, I think just that. I there there aren't that many movies that I would be like, wow, I'd really like a copy of that. Uh, we were thinking about grading the Clockwork Orange one, but I don't think it's a first edition. Um, but you know what, the Clockwork Orange, I've only watched that a couple times. Like that, I don't like that's that movie. just so violent and disturbing. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. never going to be a favorite. Kubrick had issues. Um, yeah, he did. I'm more of a 2001 A Space Odyssey guy than, than that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but yeah. you know, uh, but seriously, this is, uh, you know, this is just turned into a complete treasure hunt expedition because we're selling yeah, some we're of the we- fun. some of the weirdest stuff. But then again, I, how, how freaking cool is that that I went and I spent a dollar and I immediately <laughs> turned it into over $600? 
you know, like yeah. I said, after the fees and the shipping and everything, it's it's roughly, I'd say six hundred and sixty or six hundred and sixty or six hundred and seventy-five, something like that. Yeah, I, and we're I, we're enjoying. Yeah. We're we're doing. I mean, that's that's a great example of a fun thing. But yeah. we got our bread and butter. We're just kind of like selling ten dollar tapes, selling fifteen dollar tapes. You know, yeah. like. So we're we're having fun with it. We're yeah, we just, buying things to sell things and yeah, enjoying we just it. You know, sold a copy of uh, what Sheena, uh, the eighties uh, movie with what's yeah. her name? What was her name? Um, who was uh, she? Just passed away recently. What, what was her name? She was in. I don't was, know. I don't know. She was in Charlie's Angels and she was in Beastmaster, wasn't she? Um, oh, was she? Um, huh. gosh, I can't remember her name, but the uh, Sheena, the you know, the jungle. What's her name? Um, uh, but yeah, we sold just sold a v- DVD copy of that for you know nine bucks, whatever. And again, yeah, that there's... was something we got for thirty cents. So, um, and we always pay the shipping. So, and they, but of course, they just jack the price up on um, priority or, or on uh, media mail shipping to three dollars yeah. nineteen cents because it used to be two ninety eight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be so. two ninety eight. Now it's three nineteen. Eh, that a... sucks. But you're Just, jerks. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah so that that uh, I spent a dollar and it paid for two months of our health care. <laughs> but yeah, we're just like I said, we're um, having fun buying things to sell is is a different brain set instead of buying things to keep buying things to yeah, keep. Yeah, you know you what? Know? And I'll tell you what. Do you know how much more fun it is? counting because uh, i i i used to count money at my job that i resigned from you yeah. know how much cooler it is to count your own money <laughs> <laughs> well um, yep and that like i i was telling ken i was like you know we worked a long time for other people's dreams and we worked a long time for other people so we're trying to do our own business yeah. and uh live our own dreams now Foxfire, so. thank you. Tanya Roberts, uh, that was who was in Tanya China. Roberts, why I couldn't... You know what? I was like trying to find her name on the internet and failing miserably. That's all right. Um, yep. So, uh, but anyway, I just, it, it, you know, I know this, this show really isn't about us talking about our eBay store, but we do like talking about it because it brings us a lot of joy and we like to share these things with our friends to let let everyone know you know i mean you can find money in in stuff if you just have a little bit of actually you know i I really think and my my one friend um i'm talking to my friend from high school it's great because we uh we still get along and it's nice and he's just like a lovely man he just yeah he's a good guy and he's just selling some um of his old concert t-shirts for really reasonable amounts really good amounts like he was into industrial, you know, back in the day, and he sold uh, some skinny puppy T-shirts and stuff like that, and he made enough money to, you know, take care of some of his car repairs. So that's one of the things. Like we're doing this regular, trying to make a living doing it, doing it full time, but part time people, hey, you know, make a couple bucks, take care of a couple bills. Save some money for vacation, you know? Well, and that's the thing. We're all scattered across the country where, you know, for, for uh, yeah. all our listeners and stuff. So if you're ever out and about and you see, if you happen to see a movie from the 80s, and I'll tell you some things to look out for. Some yeah, easy, yeah, things, yeah. easy things to look out for to find, to see if it's truly old. If it is sealed 
and it says anywhere on the front of the tape, Hi-Fi Stereo, it's probably first edition because they stopped doing that because everything was Hi-Fi Stereo. They're like, stop then putting everything, that on the front. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if the barcode is on the top edge or the, one of the sides of the tape, that is probably first edition. They standardized putting yeah. the barcodes on the back of VHS tapes later on. And uh, also, there are you, you've probably seen them before, but there, there are studio stamps that they put either on the back or the edges or the bottom of the tape. And it's well, sometimes usually, both. It's sometimes usually both. And if it's older, it's, it's typically white ink. And it'll mm-hmm. say, like, the studio name, you know, Fo- CBS, Fox, Warner Brothers, whatever. Paramount, so, yeah, all yeah. that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, so there you go. There, there, there's a few things to look out for. And, again, the same tape that's not sealed, $5, you know, <laughs> because there's tons of them. You know the only yeah. things the only things that sell for a lot that aren't sealed are things that had very very small print runs from like smaller studios and stuff like that and especially if it's crazy mm-hmm. sleazy horror that that stuff always sells and there was yeah. some crazy sleazy horror that was never sealed that was just sold in clamshells that uh, is worth a lot but yeah so those are some th- things to look out for and typically the cover uh, the the older the edition the better the chance of the original movie poster art being on the on the box because they started to get a little loosey goosey and stylish and couldn't use the or licensed out to other companies and they would have to do like a, a collage of images or something like that or you know like a good example is the first edition Star Wars movies had the movie posters on them later editions like had close ups of like Darth Vader's face, or they had like gold trim around the side, you know, for the 25th anniversary or something like that. Mm. That's a dead giveaway if it's like 25th anniversary. But yeah, there are um, there are some some interesting telltales. So if you're ever at a garage sale and you see a VHS tape that's sealed, take a look at it. Um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> let me know because most of you have my phone number. Call me. I'll, I'll help you out. <laughs> so, <laughs> Call um, me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but yeah, that's uh, this, this is something that people are just starting to figure out, and we figured it out right at the right time. Thank God for that estate sale we found. But anyway, yeah. Enough gabbing about that. We, but you know, it's it's just a good feeling to know that we're we're. I, and I, I don't know if everybody heard, but yes, we're now enrolled in the marketplace. Uh, we so through the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. We got we we have insurance that's pretty comparable to what I was uh, getting at work. Um, and, uh, we just got to work a few bugs out and, you know, update our, you know, with our physician and, uh, pharmacy and all that crap. So Mm -hmm. anyway, uh, so yeah, so we're, we're excited, but anyway, uh, it's time, uh, we are on chapters 13 and 14 of Dorothy and the wizard in Oz. And I think Susan's really going to look forward to this chapter. Open. So yeah, let's go about little dragons. Oh, little dragons. Yeah, so here we go. Off to Oz. Chapter 13 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Den of the Dragonette. 
Our friends had a good start and were able to maintain it, for with their eight wings they could go just as fast as could the gargoyles. All the way to the great rock the wooden people followed them, and when Jim finally alighted at the mouth of the cavern, the pursuers were still some distance away. But I'm afraid they'll catch us yet, said Dorothy, greatly excited. No, we must stop them, declared the wizard. Quick, Zeb, help me pull off these wooden wings. They tore off the wings, for which they had no further use, and the wizard piled them in a heap just outside the entrance to the cavern. Then he poured over them all the kerosene oil that was left in his oil can, and, lighting a match, set fire to the pile. The flames leaped up at once, and the bonfire began to smoke and roar and crackle just as the great army of wooden gargoyles arrived. The creatures drew back at once, being filled with fear and horror, for such a dreadful thing as a fire they had never before known in all the history of their wooden land. Inside the archway were several doors leading to different rooms built into the mountain, and Zeb and the wizard lifted these wooden doors from their hinges and tossed them all on the flames. That will prove a barrier for some time to come, said the little man, smiling pleasantly all over his wrinkled face at the success of their stratagem. Perhaps the flames will set fire to all that miserable wooden country, and if it does, the loss will be very small, and the gargoyles never will be missed. But come, my children, let us explore the mountain and discover which way we must go in order to escape from this cavern, which is getting to be almost as hot as a bake oven. To their disappointment, there was within this mountain no regular flight of steps by means of which they could mount to the earth's surface. A sort of inclined tunnel led upward for a way, and they found the floor of it both rough and steep. Then a sudden turn brought them to a narrow gallery where the buggy could not pass. This delayed and bothered them for a while because they did not wish to leave the buggy behind them. It carried their baggage and was useful to ride in wherever there were good roads, and since it had accompanied them so far in their travels, they felt it their duty to preserve it. So Zeb and the wizard set to work and took off the wheels and the top, and then they put the buggy edgewise so it would take up the smallest space. In this position they managed, with the aid of the patient cab horse, to drag the vehicle through the narrow part of the passage. It was not a great distance, fortunately, and when the path grew broader they put the buggy together again and proceeded more comfortably. But the road was nothing more than a series of rifts or cracks in the mountain, and it went zigzag in every direction, slanting first up and then down, until they were puzzled as to whether they were any nearer to the top of the earth than when they had started hours before. "'Anyhow,' said Dorothy, "'we've scaped those awful gurgles, and that's one comfort.' "'Probably the gargoyles are still busy trying to put out the fire,' returned the wizard. "'But even if they succeeded in doing that,' It would be very difficult for them to fly amongst these rocks, so I am sure we need fear them no longer. Once in a while they would come to a deep crack in the floor, which made the way quite dangerous, but there was still enough oil in the lanterns to give them light, and the cracks were not so wide but that they were able to jump over them. Sometimes they had to climb over heaps of loose rock, 
where Jim could scarcely drag the buggy. At such times Dorothy, Zeb, and the wizard all pushed behind and lifted the wheels over the roughest places. So they managed, by dint of hard work, to keep going. But the little party was both weary and discouraged, when at last, on turning a sharp corner, the wanderers found themselves in a vast cave, arching high over their heads and having a smooth, level floor. The cave was circular in shape, and all around its edge, near to the ground, appeared groups of dull yellow lights, two of them being always side by side. These were motionless at first, but soon began to flicker more brightly and to sway slowly from side to side, and then up and down. "'What sort of place is this?' asked the boy, trying to see more clearly through the gloom. "'I cannot imagine, I am sure,' answered the wizard, also peering about. "'Whoa!' snarled Eureka, arching her back until her hair stood straight on end. "'It's a den of alligators or crocodiles or some other dreadful creatures. Don't you see their terrible eyes?' "'Eureka sees better in the dark than we can,' whispered Dorothy. "'Tell us, dear, what do the creatures look like?' she asked, addressing her pet. "'I simply can't describe them,' answered the kitten, shuddering. "'Their eyes are like pie-plates.' and their mouths like coal shuttles, but their bodies don't seem very big. Where are they? inquired the girl. They are in little pockets all around the edge of this cavern. Oh, Dorothy, you can't imagine what horrid things they are. They're uglier than the gargoyles. Tut, tut, be careful how you criticize your neighbors, spoke a rasping voice nearby. "'As a matter of fact, you are rather ugly-looking creatures yourselves, "'and I'm sure Mother has often told us "'we were the loveliest and prettiest things in all the world.' "'Hearing these words, our friends turned in the direction of the sound, "'and the wizard held his lanterns "'so that their light would flood one of the little pockets in the rock. "'Why, it's a dragon!' he exclaimed. "'No!' answered the owner of the big yellow eyes, which were blinking at them so steadily. You are wrong about that. We hope to grow to be dragons some day, but just now we're only dragonettes. What's that? asked Dorothy, gazing fearfully at the great scaly head, the yawning mouth, and the big eyes. Young dragons, of course, but we are not allowed to call ourselves real dragons until we get our full growth was the reply. The big dragons are very proud and don't think children amount to much, but Mother says that some day we will all be very powerful and important. Where is your mother? asked the wizard, anxiously looking around. She has gone up to the top of the earth to hunt for our dinner. If she has good luck, she will bring us an elephant or a brace of rhinoceri, or perhaps a few dozen people to stay our hunger. Oh, are you hungry? inquired Dorothy, drawing back. Very, said the dragonette, snapping its jaws. And, and do you eat people? To be sure, when we can get them. But they've been very scarce for a few years, and we usually have to be content with elephants or buffaloes answered the creature in a regretful tone. "'How old are you?' inquired Zeb, who stared at the yellow eyes as if fascinated. 
quite young, I grieve to say, and all of my brothers and sisters that you see here are practically my own age. If I remember rightly, we were sixty-six years old the day before yesterday. But that isn't young, cried Dorothy in amazement. No, drawled the dragonette. It seems to me very babyish. How old is your mother? asked the girl. Mother's about two thousand years old, but she carelessly lost track of her age a few centuries ago and skipped several hundreds. She's a little fussy, you know, and always afraid of growing old, being a widow and still in her prime. I should think she would be, agreed Dorothy. Then, after a moment's thought, she asked, Are we friends or enemies? I mean, will you be good to us, or do you intend to eat us? As for that, we dragonettes would love to eat you, my child. But unfortunately, Mother has tied all our tails around the rocks at the back of our individual caves, so that we cannot crawl out to get you. If you choose to come nearer, we will make a mouthful of you in a wink. But unless you do, you will remain quite safe. There was a regretful accent in the creature's voice, and at the words all the other dragonettes sighed dismally. Dorothy felt relieved. Presently she asked, Why did your mother tie your tails? Oh, she is sometimes gone for several weeks on her hunting trips, and if we were not tied we would crawl all over the mountain and fight with each other and get into a lot of mischief. Mother usually knows what she is about. But she made a mistake this time, for you are sure to escape us unless you come too near, and you probably won't do that. No, indeed, said the little girl. We don't wish to be eaten by such awful beasts. Permit me to say, returned the dragonette, that you are rather impolite to call us names, knowing that we cannot resent your insults. We consider ourselves very beautiful in appearance. For mother has told us so, and she knows. And we are of an excellent family and have a pedigree that I challenge any humans to equal, as it extends back about twenty thousand years, to the time of the famous green dragon of Atlantis, who lived in a time when humans had not yet been created. Can you match that pedigree, little girl? Well, said Dorothy. I was born on a farm in Kansas, and I guess that's being just as spectable and haughty as living in a cave with your tail tied to a rock. If it isn't, I'll just have to stand it, that's all. Tastes differ, murmured the dragonette, slowly drooping its scaly eyelids over its yellow eyes until they looked like half-moons. Being reassured by the fact that the creatures could not crawl out of their rock pockets, the children and the wizard now took time to examine them more closely. The heads of the dragonettes were as big as barrels and covered with hard greenish scales that glittered brightly under the light of the lanterns. Their front legs, which grew just back of their heads, were also strong and big, but their bodies were smaller around than their heads and dwindled away in a long line until their tails were slim as a shoestring. Dorothy thought, if it had taken them sixty-six years to grow to this size, 
that it would be fully a hundred years more before they could hope to call themselves dragons, and that seemed like a good while to wait to grow up. It occurs to me, said the wizard, that we ought to get out of this place before the mother dragon comes back. Don't hurry, called one of the dragonettes. Mother will be glad to meet you, I'm sure. You may be right, replied the wizard, but we're a little particular about associating with strangers. Will you kindly tell us which way your mother went to get on top the earth? That is not a fair question to ask us, declared another dragonette. For if we told you truly, you might escape us altogether, and if we told you an untruth, we would be naughty and deserve to be punished. Then, decided Dorothy, we must find our way out the best we can. They circled all around the cavern, keeping a good distance away from the blinking yellow eyes of the dragonettes, and presently discovered that there were two paths leading from the wall opposite to the place where they had entered. They selected one of these at a venture, and hurried along it as fast as they could go, for they had no idea when the mother dragon would be back, and were very anxious not to make her acquaintance. End of chapter 13 So many cute dragons. Oh, yeah. Of course, Kiddo's kind of a dragon. Maybe yeah. kittens, Kiddo's a dragon. I just posted a picture. I didn't think of that till you posted the picture with the three heads. Then I'm like... That's uh, Ghidorah. I just watched Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, while in passing on TV the other day. And I was like, oh, yeah. Ghidorah is kind of the evil Kiddo. <laughs> yeah, Kiddo's a sweet, sweet three-headed sea yeah. monster. Ghidorah but that's a sea monster. Yeah. Is that a sea monster? Uh, I think he's a whatever, wherever kind of monster he wants to be, because he's you know kind oh. of as big as an island. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> um, cute. Kiss but him. uh, but yeah, Kiss there was a really him. disturbing scene where Ghidorah got one of his heads chopped off by Godzilla, and he grew it back. Oh. It was gross. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's gross. Well, gross. Oh, kiddo teaser! Time for the kiddo teaser. Uh oh, I think that's Kidlet. Kidlet. Might be a kidlet. So, a dragon net. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, should we get straight into chapter 14 and see where this is going? Let's do it. Chapter 14 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ozma uses the magic belt. For a considerable distance, the way led straight upward in a gentle incline, and the wanderers made such good progress that they grew hopeful and eager, thinking they might see sunshine at any minute. But at length they came unexpectedly upon a huge rock that shut off the passage and blocked them from proceeding a single step farther. This rock was separate from the rest of the mountain, and was in motion turning slowly around and around, as if upon a pivot. When first they came to it, there was a solid wall before them, but presently it revolved, until there was exposed a wide, smooth path across it to the other side. This appeared so unexpectedly that they were unprepared to take advantage of it at first, and allowed the rocky wall to swing around again before they had decided to pass over. But they knew now that there was a means of escape, and so waited patiently until the path appeared for the second time. 
The children and the wizard rushed across the moving rock and sprang into the passage beyond, landing safely, though a little out of breath. Jim the cab horse came last, and the rocky wall almost caught him, for just as he leaped to the floor of the further passage, the wall swung across it, and a loose stone that the buggy wheels knocked against fell into the narrow crack where the rock turned and became wedged there. They heard a crunching, grinding sound, a loud snap, and then the turntable came to a stop with its broadest surface shutting off the path from which they had come. Never mind, said Zeb. We don't want to get back anyhow. I'm not so sure of that, returned Dorothy. The mother dragon may come down and catch us here. It is possible, agreed the wizard, if this proves to be the path she usually takes. But I have been examining this tunnel, and I do not see any signs of so large a beast having passed through it. Then we're all right, said the girl, for if the dragon went the other way, she can't possibly get to us now. Of course not, my dear, but there is another thing to consider. The mother dragon probably knows the road to the earth's surface, and if she went the other way, then we have come the wrong way, said the wizard thoughtfully. Dear me, cried Dorothy, that would be unlucky, wouldn't it? Very. Unless this passage also leads to the top of the earth, said Zeb. For my part, if we manage to get out of here, I'll be glad it isn't the way the dragon comes. So will I, returned Dorothy. It's enough to have your pedigree flung in your face by those saucy dragonettes. No one knows what the mother might do. They now moved on again, creeping slowly up another steep incline. The lanterns were beginning to grow dim, and the wizard poured the remaining oil from one into the other, so that the one light would last longer. But their journey was almost over. For in a short time they reached a small cave from which there was no further outlet. They did not realize their ill fortune at first, for their hearts were gladdened by the sight of a ray of sunshine coming through a small crack in the roof of the cave far overhead. That meant that their world, the real world, was not very far away, and that the succession of perilous adventures they had encountered had at last brought them near the earth's surface, which meant home to them. But when the adventurers looked more carefully around them, they discovered that they were in a strong prison from which there was no hope of escape. But we're almost on earth again, cried Dorothy, for there is the sun, the most beautiful sun that shines, and she pointed eagerly at the crack in the distant roof. Almost on earth isn't being there, said the kitten in a discontented tone. It wouldn't be possible for even me to get up to that crack, or through it if I got there. It appears that the path ends here, announced the wizard gloomily. And there is no way to go back, added Zeb, with a low whistle of perplexity. I was sure it would come to this in the end, remarked the old cab horse. Folks don't fall into the middle of the earth and then get back again to tell of their adventures, not in real life. And the whole thing has been unnatural, because that cat and I are both able to talk your language and to understand the words you say. And so can the nine tiny piglets, added Eureka. Don't forget them, for I may have to eat them after all. I've heard animals talk before, said Dorothy, and no harm came of it. 
Were you ever shut up in a cave far under the earth with no way of getting out? inquired the horse seriously. No, answered Dorothy. But don't lose heart, Jim, for I'm sure this isn't the end of our story by any means. The reference to the piglets reminded the wizard that his pets had not enjoyed much exercise lately and must be tired of their prison in his pocket. So he sat down upon the floor of the cave, brought the piglets out one by one, and allowed them to run around as much as they pleased. My dears, he said to them, I'm afraid I have got you into a lot of trouble, and that you will never again be able to leave this gloomy cave. What's wrong? asked the piglet. We've been in the dark quite a while, and you may as well explain what has happened. The wizard told them of the misfortune that had overtaken the wanderers. Well, said another piglet, you are a wizard, are you not? I am, replied the little man. Then you can do a few whizzes and get us out of this hole, declared the tiny one with much confidence. I could if I happened to be a real wizard, returned the master sadly. But I'm not, Piggy Wees. I'm a humbug wizard. Nonsense! cried several of the piglets together. You can ask Dorothy, said the little man in an injured tone. It's true enough, returned the girl earnestly. Our friend Oz is merely a humbug wizard. For he once proved it to me. He can do several very wonderful things, if he knows how. But he can't whiz a single thing if he hasn't the tools and machinery to work with. Thank you, my dear, for doing me justice, responded the wizard gratefully. To be accused of being a real wizard when I'm not is a slander I will not tamely submit to. But I am one of the greatest humbug wizards that ever lived, and you will realize this when we have all starved together and our bones are scattered over the floor of this lonely cave. I don't believe we'll realize anything when it comes to that, remarked Dorothy, who had been deep in thought. But I'm not going to scatter my bones just yet, because I need them, and you probably need yours too. We are helpless to escape. Sighed the wizard. We may be helpless, answered Dorothy, smiling at him, but there are others who can do more than we can. Cheer up, friends. I'm sure Ozma will help us. Ozma? exclaimed the wizard. Who is Ozma? The girl that rules the marvelous land of Oz, was the reply. She's a friend of mine, for I met her in the land of Ev not long ago and went to Oz with her. For the second time? asked the wizard with great interest. Yes, the first time I went to Oz, I found you there, ruling the Emerald City. After you went up in a balloon and escaped us, I got back to Kansas by means of a pair of magical silver shoes. I remember those shoes, said the little man, nodding. They once belonged to the wicked witch. Have you them here with you? No, I lost them somewhere in the air, exclaimed the child. But the second time I went to the land of Oz, I owned the Nome King's magic belt, which is much more powerful than were the silver shoes. Where is that magic belt? inquired the wizard, who had listened with great interest. Ozma has it, for its powers won't work in a common ordinary country like the United States. Anyone in a fairy country like the land of Oz can do anything with it. So I left it with my friend, the Princess Ozma, who used it to wish me in Australia with Uncle Henry. 
And were you? asked Zeb, astonished at what he heard. Of course, in just a jiffy. And Ozma has an enchanted picture hanging in her room that shows her the exact scene where any of her friends may be at any time she chooses. All she has to do is to say, I wonder what so-and-so is doing, and at once the picture shows where her friend is and what the friend is doing. That's real magic, Mr. Wizard, isn't it? Well, every day at four o'clock, Ozma has promised to look at me in that picture, and if I am in need of help, I'm to make her a certain sign, and she will put on the Gnome King's magic belt and wish me to be with her in Oz. Do you mean that Princess Ozma will see this cave in her enchanted picture, and see all of us here, and what we are doing? demanded Zeb. Of course, when it is four o'clock, she replied, with a laugh at his startled expression. And when you make a sign, she will bring you to her in the land of Oz, continued the boy. That's it exactly, by means of the magic belt. Then, said the wizard, you will be saved, little Dorothy, and I am very glad of it. The rest of us will die much more cheerfully when we know you have escaped our sad fate. I won't die cheerfully, protested the kitten. There's nothing cheerful about dying that I could ever see, although they say a cat has nine lives, and so must die nine times. Have you ever died yet? inquired the boy. No, and I'm not anxious to begin, said Eureka. Don't worry, dear, Dorothy exclaimed. I'll hold you in my arms and take you with me. Take us, too, cried the nine tiny piglets all in one breath. Perhaps I can, answered Dorothy. I'll try. Couldn't you manage to hold me in your arms? asked the cab horse. Dorothy laughed. I'll do better than that, she promised, for I can easily save you all once I am myself in the land of Oz. How? they asked. By using the magic belt. All I need to do is to wish you with me, and there you'll be, safe in the royal palace. Good, cried Zeb. I built that palace and the Emerald City, too, remarked the wizard in a thoughtful tone, and I'd like to see them again, for I was very happy among the munchkins and winkies and quadlings and gillikins. Who are they? asked the boy. The four nations that inhabit the land of Oz, was the reply. I wonder if they would treat me nicely if I went there again. Of course they would, declared Dorothy. They are still proud of their former wizard, and often speak of you kindly. Do you happen to know whatever became of the tin woodman and the scarecrow? he inquired. They live in Oz yet, said the girl, and are very important people. And the cowardly lion? Oh, he lives there too with his friend the hungry tiger. And Belina is there because she liked the place better than Kansas and wouldn't go with me to Australia. I'm afraid I don't know the hungry tiger and Belina, said the wizard, shaking his head. Is Belina a girl? No, she's a yellow hen, and a great friend of mine. You're sure to like Belina when you know her, asserted Dorothy. Your friends sound like a menagerie, remarked Zeb uneasily. Couldn't you wish me in some safer place than Oz? Don't worry, replied the girl. You'll just love the folks in Oz when you get acquainted. What time is it, Mr. Wizard? The little man looked at his watch, a big silver one that he carried in his vest pocket. Half past three, he said. Then we must wait for half an hour, she continued. But it won't take long after that 
to carry us all to the Emerald City. They sat silently thinking for a time. Then Jim suddenly asked, Are there any horses in Oz? Only one, replied Dorothy, and he's a sawhorse. A what? A sawhorse. Princess Ozma once brought him to life with a witch powder when she was a boy. Was Ozma once a boy? asked Zeb wonderingly. Yes, a wicked witch enchanted her, so she could not rule her kingdom. But she's a girl now, and the sweetest, loveliest girl in all the world. A sawhorse is a thing they saw boards on, remarked Jim with a sniff. It's not when it's alive, acknowledged the girl. But this sawhorse can trot as fast as you can, Jim, and he's very wise, too. Pah! I'll race the miserable wooden donkey any day in the week, cried the cab horse. Dorothy did not reply to that. She felt that Jim would know more about the sawhorse later on. The time dragged wearily enough to the eager watchers, but finally the wizard announced that four o'clock had arrived, and Dorothy caught up the kitten and began to make the signal that had been agreed upon to their faraway invisible Ozma. Nothing seems to happen, said Zeb doubtfully. Oh, we must give Ozma time to put on the magic belt, replied the girl. She had scarcely spoken the words when she suddenly disappeared from the cave, and with her went the kitten. There had been no sound of any kind and no warning. One moment Dorothy sat beside them with the kitten in her lap, and a moment later the horse, the piglets, the wizard, and the boy were all that remained in the underground prison. I believe we will soon follow her, announced the wizard in a tone of great relief. For I know something about the magic of the fairyland that is called the Land of Oz. Let us be ready, for we may be sent for any minute. He put the piglets safely away in his pocket again, and then he and Zeb got into the buggy and sat expectantly upon the seat. Will it hurt? asked the boy in a voice that trembled a little. Not at all, replied the wizard. It will all happen as quick as a wink. And that was the way it did happen. The cab horse gave a nervous start, and Zeb began to rub his eyes to make sure he was not asleep, for they were in the streets of a beautiful emerald green city, bathed in a grateful green light that was especially pleasing to their eyes, and surrounded by merry-faced people in gorgeous green and gold costumes of many extraordinary designs. Before them were the jewel-studded gates of a magnificent palace. And now the gates opened slowly as if inviting them to enter the courtyard, where splendid flowers were blooming and pretty fountains shot their silvery sprays into the air. Zeb shook the reins to rouse the cab horse from his stupor of amazement, for the people were beginning to gather around and stare at the strangers. Gidyap! cried the boy, and at the word, Jim slowly trotted into the courtyard and drew the buggy along the jeweled driveway to the great entrance of the royal palace. End of chapter 14. Ozma to the rescue. It's true. I'd like Ozma to rescue me sometimes. That'd be nice. Yeah, I saw that. I was surprised when I saw the chapter title that she made a cameo. Nice. Um, as it said, you know, something about Ozma and the magic belt. Um, yeah. Very cool. Yep. Um, Not eaten by dragons. 
No. Out, of, out of the Middle Earth. No, no, they no. got in over their heads. They certainly did. So, um, yeah, so this is this is exciting. You, you know, some of your favorite things, Suze, dragons and, yeah. and Ozma. I do like dragons. They're pretty cute. Yeah. I'm kind of getting sick, think... sick of the wizard. Yeah. He's he's not... He's not very charismatic. He's not very charismatic. He's not very um, talented. He's just... He's a he's a shyster. He's a humbug. He's a... He, he's a charlatan. He does a little sleight of hand. Yippy skippy. You know? Yeah. Eh, you know. He's a he good did guy. do a he did do a number on the um, on the vegetable people. Yeah, sliced one right down the middle. I do too. I do what, a number what, on some spinach people. <laughs> what were they called again? What were those little awful critters called? Oh, I forget. Hmm. Crustaceans, oh. crustiferous. No, I don't know. That's like a real title. <laughs> it's a real creature. Um, I'm sure Foxfire is going to let us know. I can't remember the. But anyway, um, we yeah. should probably we're since we talked so much at the beginning. Um, uh, oh, oh, Adam was sharing the view from uh, Clarksville. There you go. Nice yeah. McDonald's in the distance. There you are. Um, mangaboos, mangaboos, mangaboos. Yeah, that's them. So, yeah. But uh, anyway, they're not made of meat. No, they're, but are they're... instead vegetable. Yeah. Well, I'll mangaboos. I'll tell you what. Uh, mm -hmm. We uh, we're running out of time, and we're not going to be able to play another story in this hour. So, let's go ahead and hear the the lousy five minute mystery. Okay. Um, and uh, when we come back, we will embark to Wormwood Forest. And if we have to, we'll just skip a Magic Island or a Jerry tonight if we don't have time. Okay. So, Sounds good to me. But uh, here we go. Five-minute mystery. It's stupid. They're always stupid. <laughs> but it's, it's what we call filler in the business. Another five-minute mystery. to watch the stage door not to hold up production. Uh, just the same, Johnny. You're holding that curtain till the cops arrive. Girl was just found murdered in the star's dressing room. Murder, all right. Plain, cold-blooded murder. Cruel blow in the temple. Anybody know who she is? Oh, she's one of the chorus line inspectors, Sybil Lang. I see. Mr. Roberts, I understand this is your dressing room. That's right, Inspector. It is. Ghastly mess, isn't it? 
Mr. Roberts is Johnny Roberts, Inspector, the noted tap dancer. Being the star of this show, we gave him the big room. And you were on stage at the time the murder was discovered, Mr. Roberts? Well, practically. I'd been standing in the wings waiting for curtain. Uh, pardon me, Inspector, but that crowd out there is growing impatient. As long as no one can leave, I see no reason for holding curtain. People have paid plenty to get a look at Roberts. Well, I suppose there's no harm. The show must go on. I say, Inspector, that's sporting of you. I'll be back in five minutes. The thing that gets me... Mac here swears no one left the theater all evening. I'd vouch for that too, Inspector. You see, as producer, it's my business to keep tab on the cast. That means the murderer is still among us. But where, then, did he dispose of the weapon? He wouldn't have risked being caught leaving the room with it on him. We've searched everywhere, and there isn't a sign of anything heavy enough to administer that death blow. Uh, why would a pretty girl like that be in a mess like this, anyway? Mr. Roberts! Confound these boisterous audiences! Oh, there you are, Jerry. Well, what is it, Roberts? What's the crowd kicking up about? Look here, Jerry. A star is entitled to some rights. I tell you, I won't have it. They're insisting, demanding I dance. Now, you promise me it. Well, it says in the contract, I MC this show. No audience is going to railroad me. You don't mean you're going against audience will, Mr. Roberts. I thought it was the public that makes or breaks you. Not John Roberts. I'll tear up my contract first. I'll tear it up. That won't be necessary, Mr. Roberts. That contract is going to be broken anyway. John Roberts, I arrest you for the murder of Sybil Lang. Why did the inspector arrest John Roberts? Do you know the clue? In just a moment, we'll hear more, but first... what the inspector has to say. What are you talking about? You can't arrest me. I'll sue. Just a minute, Roberts. Why did you just refuse to dance when that audience gave you that commanding ovation? You're wearing tap shoes, so you can't say you weren't prepared. Well, I, uh, I didn't want to dance, that's why. Oh, no, Mr. Roberts. I'll tell you why you refused. You couldn't dance. Those loaded taps you put on the tap shoes you're wearing are too heavy for nimble dancing. But they weren't too heavy to deal a death blow. You killed Sybil Lang. You might have walked away with the clue. Just literally walked right off with it. If that audience hadn't wanted to see John Roberts go into his act. Now I suggest you hand those shoes over as Exhibit A. You might find them a little too heavy when you walk the last mile. telling my cats to kick each other's butts. Did you, did you I can't put, get them to fight. Did you put some tap oh. shoes on one of them that could deal a death blow to a man? Yeah, I think we're... I, I don't know. I'm not too into that. 
Don't, not too into the five minute yeah. mysteries. It doesn't even make sense. They're dumb. They're just dumb. They're dumb. <laughs> and I, I'm not opposed to playing them just to make fun of them. Okay. I'm I mean, it, it gives me a chance to, you know, go get a refreshment and, uh, you know, yeah. whatever else yeah, needs to be done good. on a five minute break. But I always come back to it and I'm like, oh my god, what's this going to be about? <laughs> Dumb. I was encouraging my cats to fight each other, trying to get a kitten fight here. Anyway, welcome back to It I Came won't. From Cleveland. Yes! It Came From Cleveland. No, time for go to bed. No! This is time for go to bed. It came from Cleveland is tomorrow, Ken. Oh, we got a good one in the lead up to That's Halloween. That's the show I listen to. Gonna... I'm a a regular listener. Kiddo drop incoming, but yeah, stick around to stick around till the end of the show and I'll give a teaser on who's gonna be on what we're gonna be talking about on It Came From Cleveland tomorrow. I'm very excited. Oh good. So I am too. It's gonna be cool. It's a good show. Fun. Good things. Yes. Okay. Kiddo is up to... Oh, there is dra There are dragons. Oh, my goodness. There are dragons. Oh, they wow. adopt new pets. That wow, is cute as gorgeous. That is absolutely gorgeous. That's a nice dragon. So, yeah, the kidlets have brought home a dragonette. Oh. So... It was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. This is so yeah. great because Foxfire reads ahead and knows <laughs> and knows what chapters we're going to be talking about. And then yeah. uh, we have nice thematic show art. True. So that's that's quite a situation. Those kidlets of those kiddolets. Kidlets are they yeah. kidlets? Is that a new word? I think kidlets is what they've been. Yeah, the, the, no, kidlets. Uh, she came up with kidlets uh, a couple shows back. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because I was just thinking dragonets, kidlets. That's quite a situation. The kidlets have put kiddo in. I know, kiddo's. Uh, Ugh, I mean, is very, it, you know. That's a cute is, dragon, but I mean, it eats a lot. The. Are they gonna feed him? Are they going to walk him? Are they going to clean I his litter know. box? I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah. Okay. So there it is. There's the... There it is. Very good. Thank you so Pretty much. Pretty damn cute. I got to open up the original and save it so I can mm -hmm. get to doing some coloring. Um, yep. Yeah. So uh, anyway, let's go ahead and get to Wormwood Forest. This is it, everybody. This is the final chapter. The of final Wormwood Forest. Forest. That's and, it. No and more. You know. You know I no listen. more. <sighs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No more Susie Skunk saying if you're working your way through taxidermy school, then I won't buy any of your formaldehyde. You know. I mean. All those lines. I, I, I like those. Yeah. Yep. So, so I listened to the very beginning of it, and I can't even say here's the crappy rooster because uh, the crappy rooster isn't in the final episode. Wow. They just gave up. Here we go. They just La don't understand branding. Okay, go ahead. Last chapter of Wormwood Forest. Another day in Wormwood Forest. 
Hello, boys and girls. Once again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'll want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today we go to the big wrestling match between Gorgeous Frog and Big Boy Bear. So don't leave your radio. Listen to our animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, gee whiz, Dippy, listen to that crowd roar. Oh, yes, Frankie. Oh, oh, pardon me, gorgeous frog. And they want action. They want blood. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. They'll get blood. My blood. Oh, gee, big boy bear, the bone crusher. Uh, courage, frog, courage. Uh, uh, come on now, it's time for your match. This jeepers, but he's a shaking sock. I can hardly walk. Just remember this, Frankie. Try to act brave, even if you're not. What difference does it make, Shorty? He'll murder me. It makes a lot of difference. If you act like you're brave, the crowd will be on your side. Can't you just see the picture? A great big brute of a bear and a brave little green frog. Yeah, a beautiful picture. Uh, chin's up, gorgeous. The least you can do is put on a good act for the paying customers. Well, I'll try. Good boy. Out you go. <laughs> Isn't he gorgeous? Oh, yes, Kitty. And look how brave he appears. He is brave, Susie Skunk. Kitty, who's going to referee this match? I believe it's the grasshopper. Oh, it must be. I see Gerald Grasshopper climbing up into the ring now. Ladies and gentlemen, we now present the main attraction of the evening, a wrestling match between Big Boy Bear... famous last words to say, Frog? Yeah, sure thing. I'm called Gorgeous Frog with muscles tough as nails. I fight and I always win. In fact, I've never failed. <laughs> I've never had a fight. And now for a word from Big Boy Bear, the bone crusher. I'll break every bone in his body. I'll crush him. <laughs> Maybe your quarters, fellas. I want this to be a clean fight. No holes barred. Anything goes. Oh, uh, big boy bear, you're twisting my arm. Uh, so I am. Sorry. Uh, thank you. You're a real sport. And you're gorgeous, gorgeous. Uh, may I have this dance? I'd be charmed. Oh, big boy bear, uh, you dance like a dancing bear. Oh, thanks. You dance divinely, gorgeous. Frankie, wake up. Oh, you dance like an angel, big boy. Frog, open your eyes. Speak to me. But I want to keep on dancing. Frankie, you're not dancing. But I, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Kitty, where am I? You're in my lap. How did I get here? Big boy bear knocked you out and threw you out of the ring. Yeah, but he dances so well. Come on, snap out of it. Uh, is he coming around, Kitty? 
Yes, Dippy. Well, I think we can take him home in a few minutes. Oh, good. Poor frog. At least he tried. I guess that's all I did. I can't remember a thing about the fight. All I can remember is the bell. When I hopped out of my corner, and the rest is a blank. Well, that's when he hit you, right after you hopped out of your corner. Well, at least it was over in a hurry. And you had none the worse for wear, Frog. Except my head. Oh, this side of my head hurts. And so does this side. I don't know which side hurts the worst. Dippy, hand me that stick. Uh, here you are, Kitty. Thanks. Frankie? Hey, hey, oh, oh, you hit my head. Oh, you've made it hurt worse on this side. Oh, oh. good. There's nothing I like less than indecision. Shall we go? Kitty, where is Frankie now? Out in the sunshine, trying to rest, poor thing. Uh, would you take the fox out to see him, please? The fox? Very well. And the fox is waiting by the front door. Oh, so he is. Hello, Swindler Q Fox. Ah, greetings, Kitty. I'll take you to Frankie. He's just outside. After me, my fair Kitty. Such manners. Frankie! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hiya, kitty baby. The fox to see you. Yeah, yeah. Swindler Q fox. Hmm. It's all your fault that I nearly got myself killed by that wrestling bear. I'm through. Precisely why I am here. It's plain to see I'll never make any money as your manager, Frog. Well, then let's call it quits. But what about that contract? I have it here. You don't know why I ever signed that silly contract. Watch closely, Frog. Hey, 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 you're tearing it to shreds. Then why not? It isn't worth the paper it's written on. Well, I guess that ends your career as a wrestler, Frankie. Yep, yes so. No guessing about it. You're no longer gorgeous Frog the Wrestler. You're all washed up. All washed up? Oh! Hey, Kitty, what's all washed up? Well, I just thought of something that might be. Hey, hey, Kitty, baby, wait, I'll go with you. You stay right where you are, Frankie Frog. I have plans, Frog, plans. <laughs> Badger residence. Oh, hurry, Susie, open the door. If you're working your way through agriculture school by selling corn plasters, I don't... Oh, hello, kitty. Hello, Susie Skunk. Get your bonnet. Just a minute. It's here on the hall hat rack. Hurry! Now, here's my bonnet. Put it on. Like this? Yes. Now, tie the ribbon under your chin. All right. Now, let's go. Wait, Kitty, I can't go right now. Why not, Susie? I have company. The woodchuck. Yes, Dunkluck, the woodchuck. Well, then bring him along. If you don't mind. Oh, Dunkluck, woodchuck. Well, did you call me, sweetie Susie? Yes, Chucky. Kitty says you may go with us. My, you're so considerate, Kitty. I'm also beautiful. Ready? Wait, I locked the door. You're going to leave the key in the door? Of course. Then I won't have any trouble finding it when I return home. My, you're so clever, Susie. Uh, where are we going? Oh, I don't know. Kitty, where are we going? Down to the brook. It's, it's too cool to go swimming. Who's going to swim? We're going to look for something. But it's too late to look for Easter eggs. I can see I'd better explain this before we take another step. Oh, please. Take just one more step, Kitty. Why? You're standing on my foot. You should feel honored. 
Now, as you know, Frankie Frog has ended his wrestling career. Yes, and I should think he'd be glad to end it after that terrible beating he had. Yes, he, he must feel awful. Well, he not only feels awful about his bruises, but his spirit is awfully low. I think Frankie needs something to get his mind off of failure. A new interest. Anything special in mind, Kitty? Well, yes. Remember last summer, Frankie had a showboat. It was called the Kitty Bell. And it was such fun. Well, when the fox told Frankie he was all washed up, I thought of the showboat. Maybe it's washed up on the bank of the brook. And that's what we're looking for. The showboat Kitty Bell. Well, it's getting warm enough for excursions up and down the brook. Oh, what fun it will be. We can pack lunches. And all go aboard the Kitty Bell. Cruising down the river on a summer afternoon. With one you love the sun above, waiting for the moon. The old accordion playing. A sentimental tune Cruising down the river On a summer afternoon Chucky, you make it sound so delightful Well, first we've got to find the showboat Yes, and we've walked quite a way along the brook already I haven't seen it Neither have I well, why don't we split up and all look for the showboat separately? All right, yeah, I'll look east. I'll look west. And I'll look in the cuckoo's nest. Timothy Turtle. Oh, go away and let me sleep. Wow. Tim, it's me, Kitty. Oh. Hi, Kitty. Turtle, I'm looking for the frog showboat. Showboat? Yes, have you seen it? Is it about so long with a stage and footlights made out of tin cans? Yes, yes. And burlap curtains and on the side is painted the name Kitty Bale? Oh, yes, that's it. Haven't seen it. You turtle, you. <laughs> Susie Scott. Going fishing? Oh, no. I'm looking for the frog showboat. Oh, the one he had last year? Uh-huh. Kitty wants him to get interested in it again, so he'll forget all about being such a wrestling failure. A very commendable idea. Very. Well, have you seen the showboat? Nope. Boy, I'm all stiff from referee and the wrestling matches. Can hardly bend. Sorry I can't help you, Susie. Well, is there anything I can do to help you, Grasshopper? Well, now that you've asked me, there is. Hand me my plug of tobacco. Dropped it, and I'm too stiff to pick it up. Here you are, Gerald. Thanks, child. Reckon I'll feel better now that I have a fresh chew of tobacco. <laughs> Have you seen the frog showboat? No, I haven't. Sorry. Oh, mercy me. No one has seen it. Wow, Grandpa 
Have you seen the frog showboat? Land sakes, no, kitty girl. I'm doing well to keep an eye on my heads. Have I seen the frog showboat? Why, I don't believe I have. But if you need a new showboat, Bill, just call on the Eagle Beaver Building Corporation. We can build it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, indeedy. Oh, Dippy, we've looked everywhere for the frog showboat. Yes, we looked and looked and we just couldn't find it. Well, did you did you stop and ask anyone about it? Yes, we asked everyone we saw. And no one has seen it. Oh, too bad. I guess the only thing left to do is ask Frankie Frog himself. But I wanted to surprise him. You've got to have the showboat first. I guess Dip is right, Kitty. Then I'll go ask him. Frankie Frog. Well, here I am across the lobby. We wanted to find your showboat and surprise you. Yeah, my showboat? Gee, I'd forgotten all about it. Uh, where is it, huh? Where, where? Huh? It... We can't find it. You mean it's lost? Hey, jeepers. Oh, boy, what fun it would be to have shows again to float up and down the river. But it's and... lost, Frankie. We've looked everywhere. I have to look, too. Yes, and so did I. Well, if none of you could find it, there's only one thing left to do. Well, what's that? Get a detective. A detective? Yep, to find the missing showboat. This is a case for Sherlock Hound. Case for Sherlock Hound. Next week's adventure will be one none of you will want to miss when again we join our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Next time, there'll be lots of mystery and excitement. Till then, this is Dippy Dwarf saying, so long. Remember next Saturday, listen to our animal play. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Wormwood Forest, written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee. So, that's it. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Unless yeah. I can find, track down the other episodes, that's it. Uh, even though it, I don't know if the show was canceled. I don't know much about the history. It could be that all subsequent episodes were lost. It could have been canceled abruptly, but that, unless I can find more episodes, that was it. But it seemed it. to go into a detective one, yeah. right? Yeah, which was much more pleasant than that whole wrestling arc. <laughs> it was, was rather silly. Yeah. Silly, silly. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah. So we'll, we'll, I'll do some, some digging, do some research, and uh, yeah. you know, see what I can find out. But uh, I'm about ready to do the color kiddo drop. So I had some fun, fun with this one, as always. So, yeah. uh, 
uh, here we go. Let's get to Jerry of the Circus. No music. Again, I keep chopping it off. Now for <laughs> Jerry of the Circus. Jerry? Hey, Jerry. We're getting in. Come on, come on, Jerry. You wanted to watch him set up this morning. I'm getting up. Golly, it's still dark, Bumps. Yep, pretty early, but you, you don't have to get up and watch him unload, you know. But I want to. I've never seen him unload and set up. And with a clay lot, it, it ought to be real interesting. Yeah, interesting to you, but plenty tough for the canvas man. You know, a mud or clay lot is no sense to set up on. Hey, where's Mother's shoe? Hmm? Oh, here it is. Yeah, I'll go out with you and introduce you to Paul Murray. Uh, who's he, Bumps? Well, he's a head canvas man. I guess he'll show you around if he's not too busy. It sure is going to be fun. Yeah, and you'll learn a lot, too. You know, there's a lot more to setting up the tops than you think. What I can't figure out is how they do it so fast. It's all system, Jerry. Well, I'm ready. How about you? Okay. Can I take Rags? Oh, I don't know about that. He might get in the way. Ah, but look at him. He hasn't taken his eyes off us since we started to get dressed. You want to come with me, don't you, Rags? <laughs> hey, not so loud there, partner. Folks are all sleeping in this car. Oh, he wants to come, Bump. I'll see that he stays right by me. Well, all right. But don't let him get hurt or stepped on. Oh, I won't. Come on, Rags. Hey, now, now, be quiet when we walk down the corridor. Okay. Come on, Rags. Quiet now. <laughs> Say, we could lose a lot of friends if we made any noise and woke up some of the performers at this hour. Funny the noise of the train and, and the unloading doesn't wake them up. Well, circus folks get used to those noises, Jerry. It's unusual noises like footsteps and voices in the car this early that bothers them. Yeah, here we are. Come on, Rags. Stay right alongside of me now. Yeah. <laughs> Now, let's get over there to the flat cars, eh? Be careful where you step now. Okay. Oh, yeah, I hear Paul over there. Oh, Paul. Paul Murray. Yay. <laughs> That's him waving that lantern. See, look at all those torches. Yeah. Who is it? It's Bumps, Paul. How come you're up at this hour in the morning, Bumps? Well, my pal here wanted to see the unloading and setting up today. Paul, I want you to meet Jerry. Jerry Dugan. I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Murray. I'm glad to meet you, son. If you're not going to have it too tough today, I thought maybe you'd show Jerry around a little. Sure thing. I won't be in the way. I don't think so. <laughs> well, this is Rags, Paul. It's Jerry's dog. Well, hello there, Rags. <laughs> See, this is the dog that works with you, isn't it, Bumps? Yep, that's my partner, all right. Oh, have you seen us work? I caught part of the show one night last week. Clever dog. Quiet, Rags. Well, if it's all the same with you, I'm going back to bed for a while. Sleep is a whole lot more important to me than watching you set up. Okay, Bumps. You go back and finish your beauty sleep. Jerry and I will get along all right. <laughs> all right. See you later. And keep your eye on Rags, Jerry. Okay. So long. Here comes the first wagon from the mess top, Jerry. Let's ride it over to the lot. All right. Okay, Bert. I'll take it on over. Hey, hey. Okay, boss. Climb up there in the driver's seat, Jerry. Sure. But you hand me rags, will you? Okay. Up you go, boy. That's the boy. Here, rags. Come here, boy. Up with you. Hey, you got him? Uh-huh. Thanks. All right. Yep, boy. Get up. Come on, boy. Come on. How far is the lot where we're going to set up? Oh, not very far, Jerry. I don't know exactly myself. Then how do you know which way to drive? Well, you'll see in a minute. Just as soon as we hit the street. 
What's in this wagon, Mr. Murray? Mostly dishes and cooking utensils, and, and they're important. When my men get the big top and the menagerie and the midway tops, their job is done, and they'll be wanting their breakfast. Hey, look it. There's another torch over there on the curbstone. See it? I sure do. That's what I was telling you about. That's how I know which way to go to the lot. What do you mean? You see, Jerry, the first wagon that goes over to the lot from the railroad yards is on the trailblazer. They put those flares along the route to be followed. That one on the right-hand side of the street means that I'm to turn right at the next corner. Golly, that sure is a good system. And you know something, Jerry? The drivers of the wagons don't even have to watch out for the flares. They don't? Why not? Well, because the horses are so used to following the flares that they make the turns by themselves. They do? Mm-hmm. Oh, look, Jerry. There's the lot ahead of us. You mean where all those torches are sitting on the ground? Yep, that's it. Why are they sitting around like that? Well, that's the way the lot's been laid out. I can tell from the way the flares are placed just where each top is supposed to go up. Why, even the places for the center poles of the big top have been marked off. I see what you mean. Those flares all in a row there. The pole goes up where each one of them is, huh? That's right. Golly, look at the ground, Mr. Murray. Why, it's all mud. Yeah, not such good footing here in this clay. We'll be using plenty of sawdust today. This would sure be a bad lot if it rained, wouldn't it? Yes, sir. But it won't rain. You don't have to worry about that. Why? Because it rained so much before we got here? Nope. I got a better way to tell than that. How? I can tell just by looking at the space between those flares. Why, you're fooling. How could you tell if it's going to rain or not that way? It's a pretty sure system, Jerry. Don't miss very often. But somebody it, put those torches there. Hey, how could the weather have anything to do with that? Oh, the weather has a lot to do with the way that they're placed, Jerry. You see, our advance men check with the weather bureau pretty carefully. Well, what's that got to do with it? Oh, well, the flares mark off the distance between center poles. Yeah? The center poles are further apart on a dry day than they are on a day we expect rain. We put them closer together on a wet day to allow for the shrinkage in the canvas. Come on, boy. Come on, boy. If the canvas was stretched tight and then it started to rain and it began to shrink, it would split the top wide open. Gee, I never thought of that. Hey, the boy. Hey, hey, hey there. Oh. Well, here we are, son. Hop down. Okay. Come on, Ray. Jump. Oh, I forgot about the sorefoot. Come on, then. I'll lift you down. It's getting light, Jerry. The old sun's coming up. And we can use plenty of light setting up on a clay lot like this one. Everything will get all muddy, won't it? Uh, we hope not. Oh, uh, here comes a load of sawdust now. I'll have some spread around before I unload the canvas. Hey, hey, Pat. Get some of that sawdust down in a hurry. I gotta unload canvas. What's the, what's the first thing you do? Oh, we, we dump the canvas and then we unfold and spread it. Of course, you know, by that time, the center poles are. And then we start tying onto the baling rings. Baling rings? What are those, Mr. Murray? Uh, those are the big rings that go around the center poles. We fasten the top of the canvas to them and then heist them up. Oh. And then we lace on the sides and tie her down. Well, here comes my first load of canvas. Let's get over there, huh? Okay. Come on, Rags. You see that smoke over there to your left, Jerry? That's breakfast starting already. They got the fires up before the mess top's standing. They sure work fast, don't they? Well, they got it. The thing I can't figure out is how you know just where each top is supposed to go. And every time we play, we have a different layout. Yeah. Say, why is that? Well, Jerry, I'll bet there's over a thousand different ways to lay out a circus. It all depends on the lot, the size and the shape and all that. Now, the first thing is to get the midway and main entrance to the big top nearest the best street, so it's easy for the folks to know just how to get to the circus, see? Oh, I see. And then we have to figure, uh, before we set up, just how we can break down the easiest. You've noticed a lot of the things start moving and being loaded before the night show is over. 
Yeah, and, and I've wondered about that. Well, we couldn't very well wait until the show is all over and then start moving, or we'd never get our work done. So we start taking the things off the lot that have been used. You mean the big things? Mm-hmm, like the steel for Jason's act. The minute he finishes, we break it down and take it right over to the cars. By that time, the mess tent and the kitchen is all on the train. That's right. Over here, Tom. All right, you men. Let's lay it down. They sure work fast. Uh, look over there, Jerry. Why, it's a mess tent. It's almost stopped. Suppose you take a walk over there and watch them fix breakfast now. I'm going to be a little busy for a while. Ask for Leo. He'll show you around. Okay, Mr. Murray. Thanks for showing me all you did. See you later. All right, Jerry. Goodbye. Well, Rags, aren't you glad we got up early and got to see all we did? <laughs> There's just no end to things you can learn about a circus. And every bit of it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, you think so, too, huh? Good morning, lad. Good morning. Uh, are you Leo? No, no, no. Uh, Leo's over there with that white cap on. Oh, thanks. Come on, Rags. Golly, it's sure pretty this time of the morning when it's getting light. Hello. Hello there. Are you Leo? Well, that's been my name ever since I can remember. Well, I'm Jerry Dugan. Mr. Murray just sent me over here. Well, what's Paul want? Oh, nothing. Well, what'd he send you over here for? Oh, he's been showing me how they set up, and he's afraid I'll be in the way, I guess. I mean, when they put up the big top. Besides, I, I'd like to look around the cook tent here. Well, so that's it, huh? Well, hop to it, my boy. Look around and ask some questions. That's the way to learn. Thanks, I will. Suppose you'd like to know what I'm stirring in this big kettle. Uh-huh. What is it? Well, this is the makings for about two or three thousand hotcakes. Yeah, well, two or three thousand? Yep. This and those other seven kettles full of batter. Those Razorbacks will be plenty hungry when they finish setting up in this mud field. Do they get as much as they want to eat? Well, I guess they do. Haven't had any complaints. Hey, look it. What? Well, here comes Mr. Randall. Mm-hmm, the governor himself. Oh, Mr. Randall! Oh, hello, Jerry. What are you doing up this hour? Why, I've been watching them set up. Uh, excuse me, Leo. I'll, I'll see you later. Okay, my boy. Hey, where are you going, Mr. Randall? I'm looking for Paul Murray. You seen him around? Why, sure. Uh, there he is. Uh, oh, yeah. Say, Paul. Yes, Mr. Randall. Uh, come here a minute. Is something wrong? Well, I don't know, but it kind of looks that way, Jerry. You looking for me, Mr. Randall? Yeah, Paul. How's it going? Uh, a lot pretty tough. No, I've seen a lot worse places. We'll be up on time. Yeah, good. What's on your mind, boss? Well, I just got a telegram back at the railroad station. Things don't look so good further up the line. Yeah? What's the matter? Yeah, listen to this. Advise you to cancel next stand. Heavy rains of past week have weakened trestle over Horn River. And doubt safety of taking your cars over it. J.W. Thornton, superintendent of Horn River Division, S.L. and M. Lines. See, that doesn't look so good. Mm. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to play our next stand. Folks in that town are expecting the circus tomorrow, and I'm not going to let them down. But maybe the bridge will be weakened if we try to cross it with all those cars with elephants and everything. Well, we'll go as far as the trestle and then examine it. And? Yeah, if we can't get across, we'll find another way. But we're going to play that town. Sound good right now? Does a pancake yeah. sound good right yeah. now? Yeah. Maybe I'll make some. All uh, the hotcakes you can eat. 
I think we might have one of those little one of those little mixes that you just add water to and shake up. We so, do. We oh, do. Okay. Well, I know what our super late dinner is gonna be then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got enchilada chicken. Oh, uh, that could be safe. We gotta still gotta make rice for it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, like they're they're just uh, they're setting up the big top. Yeah. This is Jerry. the music you listen to when you set up the big top. Yeah. Jerry got got up early. Watched it. Yeah. Watched it all go down. Early. And the flapjacks, uh, they had like a, a, a fifty-gallon drum full of batter. Yeah. I mean, if you're making that much batter, you're just making pancakes. That's all you're doing. Yeah, that's all you're doing. Just it's slinging, like working at IHOP. Slinging cakes. Yeah. So. Pretty awesome. Uh, oh, I did a fun thing the other day. Uh, feel free to steal this little recipe, and if anybody wants to, uh, make yourself French toast. And I had some uh, vanilla uh, coffee creamer, some coffee mate for Susan. And I was like, you know what? Let me put a little bit of this French vanilla in there instead of adding milk to my eggs. And boy, did it give it a really nice vanilla flavor to the uh, the French toast. So, um, it was nice. We so. did not have any milk. We were out of milk again. <laughs> well, I make French toast without milk, but um, yeah, I was like, well, you know, let's let's see what happens with this. And it was really nice. Yeah. I put a little bit of pumpkin cool. pumpkin spice in there. Um, not a ton because I'm, you know, I just didn't feel like digging for the cinnamon i saw the pumpkin spice and was like okay just do that um yeah so uh because we have a lot of spices and it's hard to find things sometimes i gotta redo the cat spice cabinet like every six months um but uh but yeah so uh the yeah jerry yeah. The made us hungry for pancakes <laughs> so hungry for pancakes all right. Can you imagine so, hanging out with yeah. all the circus people and eating pancakes? That'd be great. It could be fun. It could be fun. Yeah. Uh, pan, you know, uh, pancake makeup, uh, or and pancakes. <laughs> so, all right, let's get back to the circus. I think an accident happens in this episode. Oh no! Okay. Now for Jerry of the circus. Oh, I see. It's Johnny Bradley. Hello, Mr. Bradley. Hello, Jerry. How are you feeling tonight? All right. I might say exceptionally well. And how's Rags? His leg any better? Oh, sure. It's getting well fast. <laughs> it pleases me to hear that, my boy. Rags has won the affection of all of us. A fine trooper, Rags. A mighty fine trooper. Not so loud, Rags. The show's on. I surmise he wants the audience to know that although he didn't work with bumps tonight, he's right here in the pad room ready to perform. That might be. He sure likes to hear applause. He's getting to be a real actor. <laughs> you bet you are. <laughs> you know, Jerry, Rags reminds me of a little dog my son had when he was a slip of a lad. And you got a boy? You bet I have. A grown man now, but still a boy to me. I didn't know that. Is he a circus performer, too? Oh, no, Jerry. My boy is a lawyer. A lawyer? Golly, he must be smart. Where is he? Why, uh, he's, uh, he has his office in a big city. Well, don't you ever see him? No, I haven't seen him for some time. Oh, here I... comes the Bandinis. I guess they're going to work with Annette again tonight. I didn't notice that act this afternoon. 
Did they have to use the net? Sure they did. Their wire's weak. Hmm, well, that's dangerous. Hello, hiya. Jerry, hello, Jerry. Good evening, senor. Good evening, gentlemen. Carmen. Hiya, Uncle Are you going to work with the net again tonight? I guess we will have to. We cannot get a new wire until we get to the next town. I have sent a telegram for one, but it takes time to get it to us. I think better we should go on without the net. We look like, uh, how you call it, amateurs. Better amateurs than fall and maybe break a neck. Alfredo, it's right, Carlos. We cannot take so big a chance. What seems to be the trouble with your wire, gentlemen? He's only rusty in one spot. Maybe the wire holds for a long time. You cannot tell. That's just it. You can't tell. So it's better to be careful. Why do you keep on talking, Carlos, about not using the net? Alfredo and me will not work without it, so that is settled. How did your wire get rusty? I do not know. It has been damp in this country, and no matter how we watch it and care for it, the rust, it has got started. It will not spoil the act to use a net until we can get the new wire. I have not used a net since I was boy, just learning to walk on a tight wire. So it cannot be helped. Come now, maybe tomorrow we will have the new wire already. Look, it is time for us. Put on your shoes. Why don't you work one at a time instead of all going out on the wire at once? What? And not do the bicycle and the chair trick? Without those tricks, we would look like children. The people have paid to see the Bandinis perform, and we will perform. Yes, he is right, Jerry. The Bandinis never leave out one trick. It will be all right with the net underneath us. Ah, the net. Shh. Come on. It is my great pleasure to introduce to you at this time the world-famous Bendini, those renowned artists who have performed before the royalty of several continents, who have been applauded around the world, the beautiful and talented Carmen and her two clever brothers, Alfredo and Carlo. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bendini. Here they go. Carlos is sure brave not to want to use the net. I'm not so sure it's bravery, Jerry. Sometimes a desire for the spectacular lends itself to foolhardiness. Yeah, I guess you're right. Hey, look. There they go out on the wire. Carmen is sure stepping slower than she usually does. Well, hello, Johnny and Jerry. What's so interesting here in the pad room tonight? Oh, hello, Bumps. We're watching the Mandines. They're working on a rusty wire, Bumps. Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> oh, gee, Rags, I didn't notice you, did I? <laughs> well, I'm sorry, partner. Didn't mean to hurt your feelings. <laughs> that dog is sure sensitive. Yes, he is, Johnny. <laughs> Look, at all three of them are out on the wire now. Yeah, seems to be holding them all right. Now they're going to do the ride across with a bicycle. I hope they get through without a mishap. Well, they probably will. Golly, they did it. Well... <sighs> That's one of their tricks, over. They seem to be working faster now. I guess the wire's all right. I'm glad I'm not up there in that rusty wire. That kind of an act takes cool nerves. Would you be scared, Bumps? <laughs> no use me trying to fool you, Jerry. Yes, I would. They're going to do their chair trick now. Carly, I, I'll be glad when it's over. I'm, I'm getting nervous just watching them. Well, it's a good trick just for the boys to balance that chair on their shoulders, let alone having Carmen doing a handstand on it. Yes, it is. Why, it's one of the best wire stunts I believe I've ever seen. They're getting out in the middle now. Well, Carmen's getting up now. She's standing straight up. Golly, she's going to do her handstand now. Look, Greg, see the Bambini's way up there on the tight wire? Just, just look at that girl. She's sure clever. All three of them are real performers. Look. What is it, Jerry? The wire, see it? It's starting to unravel. You're right. It is, and right under them. It'll snap, sure. 
It'll break right now. Oh, it's a good thing that net is under him. There it goes. They're falling. They sure took those falls pretty. Carlos isn't getting up. He's hurt, Bumps. I think that chair hit him. Looked to me as though it landed right on him. They're lifting Carlos out of the net. Well, Alfredo and Carmen seem to be all right. What do we do, Bob? Well, there's nothing we can do now. They're bringing them out here. Quiet, Reynolds. Well, we'll take them right over to our wagon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. Just a minute. There's no cause for alarm. Everything here, is going here. Now, you grab him by the feet, Johnny. Okay. Alfredo and I'll get hold of his shoulders. What will we do? Do not get excited, oh. Carmen. Please, Bumps, you will help me. Yeah. Okay, now, Johnny. You got him? Yes, yes, Bumps. We will take him to his cot in the wagon. He will be all right, oh, yes? Oh, sure, Carmen. Come on, Rags. Uh, you run ahead, Jerry, and put a blanket down on Carlos's cot. Okay. Come on, Rags. What happened, Alfredo? He was hit with the chair. Just a good bump on the head, oh. but he will get over it. Gee, I, I hope there's no broken bones. Oh, if he has broke his arm or leg, it would be awful. Now, Carmen, do not talk like that. He is not hurt so bad. Why does he not wake up? He's unconscious, Carmen. Now he'll most likely come out of it soon. Well, if that chair hit him on the head after falling 30 feet, he's got a pretty bad bump. I do not think it hit him so hard. It just knocked against him. Uh, now, here we are. Easy now. Alfredo and I'll go up first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You ready in there, Jerry? Uh-huh. I got this car all fixed with a blanket and a pillow. That's a good boy. Shh. Shoe rag, stop it. Carlos is hurt. Uh, now, easy. Easy with him now. Yeah, that's it. Lay him down easy. Oh, Carlos. Uh, Carlos, it is Carmen. Uh, I'll go and see if Mr. Randall has been notified and find out about getting a doctor. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, be right back. Get some water, Jerry. Okay. There's some in this jug here. Oh, Carlos, Carlos, wake up. You must be quiet, Carmen. It does Carlos no good if you are so excited. Here's some water. Oh, here, put some on this towel. All right. Now, we put it on his head. So. He will be all right, you will see. Didn't I once bounce out of the net and was unconscious too? Oh, the wire. The wire. Oh, Carlos. Yes, Carlos. You are all right? Oh, Carmen. Alfredo. Yes, yes. Lie still, Carlos. Is he coming too, Mr. Bradley? Yes, yes. He's coming out of it. What? What is it? Oh, my head. Oh, the wire broke, Carlos. Are you all right? We are all right, Carlos. Just rest easy. Soon there will be a doctor coming. Uh, I will be all right. I know now. The wire broke. Yes, Carlos, but the chair, it hit you on the head. Now, let me sit up. I feel better now. Ooh. Maybe it's better you lie still. No, no, I, I will be all right. Have you got any broken bones, Carlos? Yes, Carlos. Look and see if there is something more wrong. Oh, I hardly think it is more than that hit on the head. Is there something I can do? Oh, Jerry, so... So you saw it, huh? Uh-huh. So you will take my place now, yes? Oh, Carlos, you are not hurt bad. No, he is joking already with Jerry. He is fine. Mm. My arms are good. My legs are good. I'm lucky, yes? You are lucky we had the net under it. Yes, we would have been killed, all of us. I will never hear the last of it, that I didn't want the net. No, we will say no more of it. I do not think I need a doctor. I've had bumps like this on my tough head before. In your good physical condition, there's little doubt that you will rally quickly. What do you mean? He means Carlos will get over it quick. I would go up and do the trick right now. That's the spirit. 
You performers believe in going right back for more, don't you? That is the only way. He must work tomorrow, or maybe if he wouldn't, he would become afraid and never work on the wire again. That's the way airplane pilots do. And that is right, Jerry. It is so easy to lose your nerve after an accident. Well, how is he? Okay, boss. Well... Well, the patient's sitting up already, huh? Ah, there is nothing wrong with me, Bumps. I just want to sleep. I took a little nap. Well, are you sure there's nothing wrong? He seems to be coming around all right, Bumps. Sure, I was only fooling. I wanted to be carried to the wagon so I wouldn't have to walk. I guess we know if you were fooling or not, Carlos. Fooling? Uh, you were, how you say, out like a light. Oh, uh, Mr. Randall is sending a doctor right over to look at you, Carlos. Uh, it is a waste of time. Yes, but it's better to be absolutely sure, Carlos. Uh, you know, we may have a bad night ahead of us. What do you mean, Bumps? You mean about the trestle being too weak to allow our train to cross that river? Uh, yes. Uh, Mr. Randall just received another telegram from the division superintendent of the railroad, saying that they would not route any trains over the Horn River route until they could fix the bridge. Hmm, that is bad. Now, what does Mr. Randall intend to do about it? This morning when he got the first telegram, he said he was going on through. He said he was going to play the next town regardless. Yeah, and that's what he said when he got this last telegram. But how can we cross the river if the bridge won't hold the train? Well, he wired ahead and told him to try to reinforce the bridge. Mm, that sounds like a big order. Well, he insists on going as far as the bridge anyway. Then if it doesn't look safe, he said he'd find another way to get through. I, for one, have absolute confidence in Mr. Randall's judgment. Well, I guess we'd best get back for the last walk around, Johnny. Hey, it is almost time, yeah. isn't it? Well, you take it easy, Carlos. I'll help Alfredo with your packing tonight. Well, you ready, Johnny? Yes, coming, Bumps. Well, goodbye, gentlemen. Goodbye, goodbye Johnny. Thank you, Bumps. Well, Jerry, I guess you had some excitement tonight, yes? I'll see. But I'll bet there'll be a whole lot more when we get to that broken trestle tonight. So many pancakes. Should we make the pancakes? I'll make them. Or should we go down to IHOP? Is it too dangerous? Oh, I'm not spending money on pancakes. Yeah? Okay. I have all the You're stuff like, to make pancakes. I can make them from scratch. Pancakes. I can make them from scratch and they'd be even better. Really? Yeah. I used to make pancakes, pancakes. when I was a kid. Yeah, you use flour, egg, uh, some oil, uh, a little salt, a little baking uh, soda, a little baking powder, and that's pancakes. That's pancakes. Wow. Yeah. And butter. Uh, water. We got syrup. Water or milk, but we don't usually have water. Maybe some creamer and vanilla. Yeah, well, I could put some in the creamer. So. <laughs> You know what? I wish we had chocolate chips. Oh, God. We got raisins. Yeah, because we were watching the um, Step Brothers the other day, that really yeah. bad movie, and he was I like... I hate chocolate chips and pancakes. I think that's disgusting. Really? I think it's disgusting. I have to be in the mood, but I could do that. We've got blueberries. We could put blueberries in them, too. I have blackberries. 
<gasps> oh my gosh. <gasps> oh, now. What are, what are we doing? What are we doing to ourselves? <laughs> what, yeah. what are we? We're just like torturing all the people that can't, don't have these ingredients. <laughs> uh, uh, funny. Well, I think all of our, all of our listeners have the ability to get pancakes at some point. Livin just had French yeah. toast this morning, so. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah, French toast is nice. Uh, I, I, Le toast de France. I like making that because it's so easy to make, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, pancakes sound good. It's good for your stale bread too. Oh yeah, yeah. It oh, takes yeah. takes you kicks your stale bread up to uh, an angelic level. Mm. So. Uh, all right. Uh, should we do one magic island? Uh, Let's do it for the night. What's going on with the magic island? Uh, something stupid. Uh. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I'm not. Not too into it, but you know, like I, I think Jerry and the Circus that was a good one, and yeah, those, yeah, that guy died. Maybe, maybe the guy is a little more hurt than he's letting on. He's dead. He's the, dead. The next episode is entitled uh, "Carlos's Funeral." Oh, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> um. Anyway, um, here we go. The Magic Island, uh, the music-free serial from back in the day. The Magic Island has become a place of dread terror and weird scientific happenings. Mrs. Gregory, Captain Bradford, and Jerry Hall are constantly watched by the mastermind of the strange colony on the Isle of Euclidia. Joan, the long-lost little daughter of Mrs. Gregory, has been found on the island and wants to escape with her mother and her new friends. But this seems impossible. Captain Bradford is confined in a cell. And as Jerry talks to him through the solid, yet translucent wall, the captain chokes, seizes his throat, and falls. Captain Bradford! Tex! Tex! What happened to you? Oh, gee, I gotta do... Joan told me not to touch this wall. It's charged with electricity. But I've got to do something for Tex. That crazy old sinus G-47 has done this. I'll find him. Help! Help! Somebody! G-47! Joan! Mrs. Gregory! Help! Mrs. Gregory, help! Here I am, Jerry. What's the matter? Come here quickly, Mrs. Gregory. Hurry! What's happened, Jerry? You look badly shaken up. Captain Bradford, Tex, in the cell. Something choked him. Oh. He choked and fell down. Where is he now? Right here, in this cell. We've got to do something for him. Don't touch that wall. It's charged. I didn't go in there, but here comes G-47 now. He'll know what to do. Did he do this to Tex? I think so. Tex and I were talking uh, about... What is all the screaming about, you young fool? What is going on here? You know what's going on. What have you done to Captain Bradford? I, I have done nothing to him. I have ways of knowing what is going on in the cells. I heard this young fool and the captain plotting against me. But what did you do to the captain? I did nothing to him. You did too. He was talking to me, then he started to choke. He grabbed his throat and fell over. So? Ah, there is something wrong here. Come with me. We'll have a look in this cell. I ordered nothing done. It is possible that one of my assistants ordered the gas turned into the cell accidentally. Hurry, then. He may be dead by now. That would depend on what kind of gas was given. He started to turn black in the face. Ah, that is bad. We must hurry. You may come in also. Look out. Don't touch that ah, wall. I have no fear. When you ran screaming from the cell, I had the current turned off. We will enter. Oh, Tex. Tex, what happened to you, Tex? Keep your face away from his, madame. If it is the lethal gas, 
one breath of it from his respiratory organs in their natural constriction and you would be... Oh, no. He breathes. Strange. What could have happened? Well, let's do something. Yes, anything, only hurry. Oh, no, something is amiss here. I have never had an accident like this. You, young man... Yes? Do you know artificial respiration? Sure I do. Administer it at once. I have cut all communication to this cell. I must return to my quarters to establish contact with the laboratory again. I will have aid here in less than 90 seconds. Work fast, Jerry. I know how to do it. Let me help. Quiet, both Why, of you. Why, he texts you. Quiet, I said. We have just about a minute. He said all communication was cut off from this cell, so no one will overhear us. I'm all right. Just faked this so Jerry would run out yelling and give us this chance. Uh, you sure scared me. All right, hurry. You have a plan, Tex. What is it? We'll never get this chance again, so listen closely. At all other times, they can see and hear all we do, no matter where we are on the island or on the yacht. But they must have something to protect themselves against the very thing they have developed. I don't see... I do. They figure someone else might be smart enough to invent rays and beams and all that, and they have something that will stop all those things. Exactly, son. Now, here's a plan. We'll find out what that material is. It's either cloth, wood, or metal which shields out all rays and cannot be dissolved by gases or light rays. And sound and visibility will not penetrate it. We'll let our hands get our hands on some of that stuff. Pick an excuse to spend our time on the yacht, smuggle that material aboard, and use it to shield our radio while we signal the world. Or escape from here. Now, you got all that? Every word of it. And I'll get G-47 to take me on a tour of all the machines and laboratories and find out what it is. I'll work too, Tex. Maybe Joan will know. Quiet. I think I felt a vibration through these walls. Work on me quick. Gee, Mrs. Gregory, he's breathing all right, but he doesn't seem to wake up very fast. Oh, Jerry, what can we do? Why doesn't help come? Ah, there is no need to worry, madame. And you, Hall, you may cease trying to tear the captain's arms out by the roots. What's it all about? We can't wake him. Do something for him. If he dies, I'll get you for this G-47. Your threats are foolish. And you know it. <laughs> you cannot harm me. Never mind that. What happened to Tex? One of my assistants in the laboratory R3 was working with a new 800-second paralyzing ray. A beam of it must have escaped and cut through this cell. Then Captain Bradford will be all right? You mean he'll come out of it just like Joan and I yes, did? Yes, he will. If it was the 800-second ray, he should be over the effects of it in just uh, uh, 20 seconds, as I figure it from the time you screamed. Did you time it exactly when I screamed? Naturally. Our disturbance indicator records every slight shock, even of a voice. <laughs> records it to the fraction of a second, and all our personal chronometers are synchronized with that. Golly, what a place this is. A wristwatch is a personal chronometer. One thing is exactly the same here as in your world. I'd like to know what it is. A talkative young fool. What are you two arguing about now? Oh, Tex, what's happened to you? Oh, we were scared. I saw you start to choke and fall. Jerry ran for me. Then we got G-47. He says it was an accident. I don't like your accidents, Chief. It was entirely an accident. Nothing will happen to you. Nothing of a serious nature. So long as you remain quiet and do not attempt to escape. Oh, but this is most irregular. Uh, so regular enough for me, all right. I'm not in the habit of choking myself to sleep. Ah, that 
is the irregularity I refer to. You, Jerry Hall, when the 60-second ray was turned on you, you did not choke, did you? Why, no. I... Ouch! Oh, sorry I kicked you, kid. Uh, guess I'm a little clumsy for my nap. Answer the question, Jerry. G-47 is trying to find out something about what happened to Captain Bradford. And answer it carefully. Yeah, very good, madame. I see you are learning the necessity for accuracy in our work. Well, if there's liable to be any more accidents like this, I think we should all help to clear it up. Very good. Well, Hall, uh, answer my question. Did you feel a choking sensation from the ray? I guess I did. I don't know. I did a little, but, but it happened so quickly. Well, I didn't have time to try and move like Captain Bradford did. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I think that will be it. You were directly in the path of the ray when I used it on you. But this was a stray beam that escaped from the laboratory. And it must have struck Captain Bradford at a tangent. Then as he fell, he got the full force of the center of the beam. Well, whatever it was, I've had about enough of it. May we go to the yacht now and make ourselves comfortable? You know we haven't any quarters ashore yet. I was going to suggest that you make your home on the yacht for the time. Some of my assistants have been busy there. You will be observed. Just as if on the island. <laughs> and I think you know now what that means. It means that you can see and hear all we do when you want to. And it would be foolish to try to escape. Exactly. I may build you permanent quarters on the island tomorrow. Oh, but it takes nearly 1,800 seconds to build a proper apartment for a lady. I cannot spare my assistance tonight. Boy! Half an hour to build a house, and he's too busy. All right, may we go now? I said, where is he? He's gone, just like a breath. You forget, you can step through any of these walls if the juice is turned off. The walls all move without a sound. Good boy, Jerry. Keep a level head on your shoulders. We mustn't let this weird stuff get us to believing in ghosts. That wouldn't be hard to do after seeing and hearing these things. But we must remember that these people are merely clever scientists. And all they have done, we can do. Now you're talking, Mrs. Gregory. We can figure it all out if we don't get too excited. And I do believe one thing that old Frankenstein told us. Well, he doesn't bluff. And in his position, he doesn't have to lie to us. So we'd better believe all he tells us. Yeah, but, but I meant what he said about being safe as long as we don't try, try to escape. It was surely lucky you kicked me when we were talking about... Ouch! Oh, gee, I'm sorry. Watch it, son. Now, Pat, you and Jerry come with me. We'll go back to the yacht for the night. I wonder if they'd let Joan stay on the yacht with us. If not, I'll spend the night with her on the island. I imagine it'd be all right, unless she knows too many things about the island. Things she might tell us. I'll go see G-47 and ask him. May I go, please? You and Captain Bradford go down to the yacht, and I'll get you on and bring her down there. We'll hurry over to the yacht, Tex. I can fix my cabin up nicely for Joan, and I want to get some pictures to show her. Funny place, this island. Seemed about half a mile when we sailed around it, but it's only a few steps to walk across it. They've certainly used every inch of space here. The whole thing is weird, even the names. Euclidia, G-47, Cleostra. Oh, Tex, if we ever get back to the world, what a story we can tell. If we ever get back. We'll get back. Jerry and Joan ought to be able to find what we were discussing. There are the lights of the yacht. Yonder, I wonder where the skipper is. Nothing would get him excited. He's probably having a good sleep in his bunk, waiting to wake up and find it all a dream. Well, here we are, just as we left it. What? What? 
Oh, the glasses again, eh? Someone took my glasses off, too. I didn't even brush against my skin. But why didn't we see someone before the glasses were taken off? Uh, there are many things on this island that even these glasses will not aid you to see. The young fools will be with you in a moment. <laughs> Sleep well, my friends. <laughs> I will watch over you. <laughs> I will watch over you. Yes, and he will, too. It looks almost hopeless, Pat. Now, Tex, remember your own advice. Don't lose your head. Oh, I know it's all a lot of clever tricks, but they get on your nerves. Those glasses disappearing, for instance. G-47 merely had to paint his hands and face or wore a mask or gloves of some material which would not reflect visible rays through those glasses we had on. We're going to be allowed to see just what they want us to see, and no more. That old deck sure sounds good after walking without making a sound for so long. Sounds like we were back in our own world again. When Jerry and Joan get here... Say, Pat, I've got it. You remember what we decided? You mean what we could use to... Yes. Well, Joan has it. Has it with her right now. I don't understand. You will. In less than a minute, I'll be talking to you. And nobody on this island will hear what I say. God, that show ends so abruptly. <laughs> That's it. There's the magic islands. Yeah, and I was um, on another station. Um, well, not another station, but my computer went off. I was ah. listening, but my computer went off, so I had to, like, turn it back on and that, put it over fine. and blow. Yeah, that's fine. But, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, the, I, I don't really quite understand the motivations of the Euclid Euclidians. evil people. You're the Euclidean evil people. You know ah, what I mean? But like, the bad guy talks like this, so you know yeah. he must be very bad. He's a scientist, so he must be bad. I don't know. I don't Do know. not try and escape, and you will be safe. <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird, isn't it? I can Kinda see weird. you everywhere you go. <laughs> Would you like to know how it feels? Would you like a cupcake and a glass of wine? <laughs> Pancake and a yep. glass of OJ. There you go. You know what? I, I put out some of the pancake stuff. Oh, I didn't hear the beginning because I put out some pancake stuff. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> all right well there we go uh tomorrow very excited about tomorrow night's episode of uh it came from cleveland yeah i get to program an hour of the program dedicated to the one the only mistress of the dark cassandra peterson aka elvira i'm very excited about yeah. that because this is it's her birthday this week um, oh. Michelle is going to do an entire hour on the late, great Roddy McDowell from Planet of the Apes, Fright okay. Night, and all kinds nice. of other great movies. And nice. um, Joe is going to do more on Richard Keel, who was a close personal friend of Bob Weatherwax. Um, and so he has some fun stories about him. And Miles has a, uh, a World War II story that uh, a, a kind of demonic World War II story that's very exciting. Nice. So. Yeah, I was impressed that uh, 
Bob Weatherwax is is training Sharky. I can't get over that. I can just see Sharky. No. Just, uh, no, no, oh. he's not. Uh, it's a, oh, it's he's an not? Asso- an associate. Uh, no, it's an associate of Bob. Uh, Bob is in a, in a nursing home. Uh, he's retired. Okay, I got it all wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway, so that's right. uh, what, what we're doing tomorrow night. Uh, Suze, uh, go ahead. We got a few seconds left. Um, say goodnight to the folks. Oh, goodnight, folks. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in and hearing about dragons and kiddo and kidlets and dragonettes and encouraging Adam to do Mythical Moment. Come back tomorrow for uh, It Came From Cleveland and you'll be very happy. And you'll keep all your pancakes to yourself and uh, that's it. A happy day. Time for go to bed.